If you ask somebody today, are you a Christian? No telling what kind of answer you'll get. And then if you ask somebody, what is a Christian? You'd be surprised at the answers that you would get. A lot of people think living a good life is a Christian. And I think you ought to live a good life. Some people think if you'll go to church and participate in religious activity, that is a Christian. I had somebody tell me one time, they said, we want to join your church. And now we won't be coming after we join. I said, you won't be the last ones. But we won't be coming after we join because we just want to join so we'll have a place to have our funeral when we die. And I thought that was their, that was their definition of a Christian. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to church every Sunday. You can try to keep the Ten Commandments. You can be a, a good neighbor and a good citizen, a good person, and be a good civic and a social person. But being a Christian is knowing Christ as your Savior and following Christ as your Lord and learning of Christ as your Master. And I'm glad today to say it is a privilege to be called a Christian. And what the world meant in derision, I take it as a compliment. The Bible said the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And they done that because they said, wow, those people are little Christ. They talk like Christ. They live like Christ. They act like Christ. They're preaching Christ. They're following Christ. So we'll just call them an ugly name. We'll just call them little Christians. We'll call them little Christ. We'll just say, ah, they're Christian. And what they didn't know, the sovereign God of heaven, was taking their words of criticism and giving you and I the greatest compliment that could ever be paid to anybody, a Christian. And I want to say this today at the, at the very outset of these messages. I count it an honor and a privilege to be identified with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I count it an honor and a privilege to be called a Christian. And I want with all of my heart to live a life and set forth an example that is worthy to bear the name a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a learner of Jesus. I want to know him and follow him and serve him. And I want to say along with the old song we used to sing a lot out of the red book, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. In this world, I've tried most everything, and I'm happy now to say, there's nothing like old-time salvation in the good old-fashioned way. I'm walking in the grand old highway, and I'm telling everywhere I go, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. All the world is bright since I got right. Now I sing and pray and shout. All my burdens have been lifted since the Savior brought me out. I'll tell the world both far and near as I travel here below that I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. What a privilege and an honor it is to bear that name, Christian, 
a learner, a follower, a worshiper, a server of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, being a Christian is knowing Christ, following Christ, and learning of Christ. And I believe the book of Galatians gives the most wonderful experience. It gives the most wonderful explanation. And it gives the most wonderful example of what a true Christian is. There are five verses in the book of Galatians. I thought about entitling the series, Gleanings from Galatians. Then I thought about preaching on classic Christian statements out of the book of Galatians. But I've settled on this title, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. I wonder if there's anybody in this room today, you are not ashamed to be called a Christian. You're not ashamed to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love Him today? Do you serve Him today? Are you a follower of the Lamb? I am glad that Christ is my Savior. Christ is my Lord. Christ is my King. And Christ is my example. Reminds me of page 6 in the old church hymnal. I want to know more about my Lord. And let's look at what Paul has to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about being a real Christian. And we're going to read the five verses in succession. And I'm going to go back and look at the first one. And then we're going to just start preaching on these till we run out of time. And so we'll probably get to half of one today. Because we always get out 12-ish. Let's look in Galatians chapter, I said 12-ish. Galatians chapter number 2, the first one, is in verse number 20. What a classic Christian statement. Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You'll never find a more beautiful verse of Scripture that defines the beauty and the glory of the Christian life. That the life that we live in this world, we live by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Come to the second verse, chapter number 3, and look in verse number 24. Chapter number 3, verse number 24. Watch this classic statement. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Watch this now. That we might be justified by going to church, taking the sacraments of the Lord's... No. That we might be justified by faith. What a wonderful classic verse about the Christian life. Now come to chapter number 6 and we'll look at the three others real quickly. Go back to chapter number 2 and dive in. Look in chapter number 6 and verse number 9. 
This one brings tears to my eyes. Let us not, let us not, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. What a classic Christian statement that it pays to serve the Lord. And it pays to be a Christian. Not only in this life, but thank God in the life to come. Look at the fourth wonderful verse. Look in chapter 6 and verse number 14 and just underline these in your Bible. Listen to this one. Oh my. Chapter 6, verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory. God forbid. Paul, the great writer, the great evangelist, the great missionary, the great preacher, the great statesman. And he says, God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. What a classic Christian statement. What, what a verse that sums up the Christian life. That God forbid, say we glory in the Christ. Notice in chapter number 6 and verse number 17, the last one. Boy, I want to tell you, this puts the icing on the cake. Look in chapter 6 and verse number 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. Read this out loud with me real slow and sense the Spirit of God in this verse. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Man, say that with me again. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, if you don't think I'm real, if you don't think I am a true follower of Jesus Christ, Let me show you how much I love him. And let me show you how close I have followed him. And Paul takes off his coat and Paul takes off his shirt and says, I love him this much because those whelps and those bruises and those scars I got for Jesus Christ. And Paul said to the Ephesian church, I counted that all joy that I might win Christ. I gather today, ladies and gentlemen, reading those five verses that Paul was not ashamed to be a Christian. Paul was not embarrassed to be a Christian. Paul was not the least apprehensive to line up his life with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe these five verses, Paul gives a testimony that Jesus meant the world to him. In fact, Jesus meant more to him than the world or family or friends or even his own life. Paul never got over the wonder of being a Christian. I mean, he spent the first half of his life dedicated to stamp out Christianity in its beginning. In fact, his own words was this. I wrecked havoc. I wrecked havoc in that infant church. That word havoc is the same word as a tornado. He said, I came in and wrecked havoc. I burned the buildings. I killed the preacher. I murdered his family. And dripping from the blood of Paul's fingers was the blood of martyrs that he had killed for the cause of Christ. But yet on that night on the road to Damascus... 
God overwhelmed him. He went there to fight, but oh my, that night, something got a hold of him. And that something was a somebody, that someone is a, is, was, is a someone and the only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Paul fell off of that horse, a persecutor, and came up a preacher. He fell down on the road to Damascus, a critic, and came up a Christian. You know what the Lord did to the devil when he saved and called Paul? He reached in the devil's toolbox and dulled his best saw, took the handle out of his best hammer, and bent his best screwdriver. When the devil saved, when the devil tried to ruin Paul's life, Jesus stepped in, changed his life, revolutionized his life, and Paul never got over the thrill and the glory and the wonder of being a Christian. Well, my testimony is not near as dramatic as Paul. It's not near as revolutionizing as Paul. I grew up in church. I, I went to church nine months before I was born. You'll get that in a few moments. And brother, we didn't ask where we're going. If I'd have asked, are we going, I wouldn't have been able to go. Man, I sat in that church for the first 16 years of my life. The choir singing, my daddy preaching, and my mama shouting. I was religious. I walked the walk. I talked the talk. But in my heart, I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I remember our little youth group was singing at a local revival at the Canaan Land Baptist Church in Reedsville. And that was a young evangelist from Jacksboro, Tennessee, just getting started by the name of Stennett Ballou. And one night he took his text from Galatians 6. The last verse we read while ago in the text where Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And of course, he said that these were literal physical welts and bruises and scars that Paul got because he served the Lord. He said, but I want to tell you tonight, there are some spiritual marks. There are some biblical marks. There are some things that are evident in the life of every person that's been truly born again and saved. And he went through the Bible and laid it out there. And by the time he came to the end of that sermon, I realized my mama was a great saint. My daddy was a faithful pastor. I was a good church member. I was a good youth Sunday school teacher. And I was a good, you know, choir and special music and lived right and faithful. Looked like everybody else in the church. But that night I realized that I was just a distant follower of Jesus. I was a spectator and not a participator. I knew it in my mind. I knew it in my head. And I was like that crowd Jesus said, I honored God with my lips, but my heart was far from Him. But that Thursday night in that little parsonage, on Jet Drive, first row to, uh, to the left, first house on the left, first bedroom to the right, I stepped out of my religion into a relationship. 
I stepped out of a head knowledge only to a transformation of my heart and my will and my life. And that's been many, many years ago. But I want to say I still have a witness. I still have a hunger. I still have a thirst. I still have a desire to know more about Jesus and go further with Jesus and dive deeper with Jesus and draw closer to Jesus. I'm not just satisfied being a church member. I'm not just satisfied being in the same room with Christians. I want to sit at the table of my master. I want to feel his breath and anointing upon my life. I want to grow in the grace of God and do more than talk about being a Christian. But I want to experience God like a Christian. I want to do more than go through the motions of religious activity. I want to walk with my Savior and worship my Savior. And I don't want to endure salvation. I want to enjoy the Christian life. And today, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Living a good life doesn't make you a Christian. Participating with other Christians does not make you a Christian. But if you'll come to Jesus and believe the gospel and trust Him as your Savior and as your Lord, you'll do more than mess around with Christians. Praise God, you can be a Christian. And I want to say again, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. And I believe today these five verses give a great explanation and an example of the wonder and the thrill of the Christian life. Let's go back to the first one that I read this morning. Galatians chapter number 2 and verse number 20. The heading of that verse, I have this wrote down. The mandate of a Christian. What does it take to be a Christian? I believe this one verse in the Bible will let us know that being a Christian is more than being religious. Because there's three little phrases in this verse, to me, that sums up what's got to take place in somebody's life for them to be a real Christian. Notice what he says in verse number 20, chapter number 2. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, here it is now, I live. Say those two words with me this morning. I live. Now that sounds like to me he's doing more than going to church. That sounds like to me he's doing more than keeping the Ten Commandments. That sounds like to me he's going through more than religious activity. He's got something. And it's real to him. And let me say this, and it's personal to him. I think that's the thing that tripped me up the first 16 years of my life. My mom and dad lived such a godly life and they had such a godly example. Danny, I just felt like they knew enough God for everybody to go around. I thought, man, as long as I live with them, man, surely I'm going to go to heaven because they're such wonderful Christians. But it dawned on me one day, I'm not going to heaven because what God did for daddy. I'm not going to heaven because what God did for mama. And I'm telling you, my mom and daddy both had a good dose. In fact, my mama called me this morning shouting. Honey, let me pray with you. Oh, let me. She's 88 years old. 
And she said, let me pray with you before you go to church. Hallelujah, honey. Let's pray. Oh, God, I pray for my baby boy. Holy Ghost, settle on him today. Fill him with your power. Oh, God, don't let him go to sleep. She didn't say that. I threw that in there. And I mean, she's still excited about serving God. But ladies and gentlemen, I realized one day, it's not what my mama had. It's not what my daddy had. God became real to me. Jesus became real to me. Paul said, I live. I live. He didn't say I'm participating. He said, I live. This is real to Paul. This is personal, Paul. Yes, he says, I live. And notice what he says in the text. Yet not I. Paul said, what I've got didn't come from me. And it's not the works of my religion. Yeah, I live, but yet not I. I live, yet not I. You know what Paul is saying in that text? I didn't save myself. And there's no one in this room this morning can save yourself. There's no one in this room this morning that can save yourself. All you will do if you try to save yourself will become a religious bigot Pharisee. And can I remind you this morning, very kindly, very tenderly, but yet very boldly, hell is full of bigot religious Pharisees. Someone who has ever been under conviction and brought to the end of themselves, and realize their only hope is Jesus, will never be arrogant and proud and boastful about it. You will say something like this, I was a sinner, and God brought me to the end of myself, and Jesus looked beyond my fault and saw my need, and none of us in this room this morning are saved because of us. We're saved in spite of us. Paul said, I live, yet not I. It's not what I've done for me. It's not what I've done for you. But it's what Jesus has done For all of us. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. Watch what he says. But Christ. But Christ. But Christ. Liveth. In. Me. You know what being a Christian is? Somebody is in you. Somebody is in you. Paul said. Christ is. In. Me. And if I've studied it right, Christianity is the only religion where its founder moves inside. Now, I thank God for this church. I thank God for that ceiling until Brian has to change the light bulbs in it. And I thank God for the padded pews. I said that one night, David said, yeah, as long as you preach, I'm glad we got padded pews. And I appreciate this edifice God's given us. I appreciate this wonderful facility on the hill. Yes, but but ladies and gentlemen, we did not come into this beautiful auditorium today to just say, wow, man, you know, we're going to worship God here. We're going to talk to God here, you know, because God lives in that communion table and God lives in that pulpit and God's going to float out of the rotundra. Up. No, no, no. We came here collectively to worship God in spirit and in truth. But ladies and gentlemen, if you've been born of the Spirit, 
washed in the blood of Christ and you are a real Christian. You did not walk in this room to feel God. You didn't walk in this room to talk to God. He lives in you. He is in you. You got somebody in you. And I'm like that little girl in Sunday school. The teacher was teaching that great verse in the book of Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brother Mark, she raised her hand and she said, Teacher, I've got a question. She said, Honey, what is your question? She said, If he, Christ, is so big and wonderful, and if he lives in little old me, ain't he going to stick out somewhere? How many believe this morning, if anybody as wonderful as Jesus Christ lives in little old you, he's going to poke out somewhere. Christ liveth in me. Oh, you ought to join the church. You ought to get baptized. You ought to tithe. You ought to tithe. You ought to tithe. I'm a Baptist. You ought to tithe. You ought to go to church. You ought to get baptized. You ought to come to the ladies' meeting. You ought to come to the lasting love. You ought to come to prayer meeting. You ought to come to soul winning. All of that is wonderful. But ladies and gentlemen, being a true Christian is not what you are involved in. Being a real Christian is who is involved and living in you. Christ liveth in me. Watch the rest of this verse. And the life which I now live. Paul is saying again, I'm doing more than existing. I'm living. I'm doing more than observing religious festivities. I'm living. I'm more than just going through the motions of religious practice. I'm living. I'm alive. Something's got a hold of me. Most what he said in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Say this last line out with me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I got underscored in this text three little words. For, by, and in. Say that with me today. For, by, in. Let's say that one more time. For, by, and in. Did you know those three little words sums up what being real Christian is? What do you mean by? What do you mean for? What do you mean in? Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you that none of us in this room could claim to be a Christian had Jesus Christ not died for us. Can I remind you today that the message of the gospel is Christ died for us. And you know what's better than saying the statement that Christ died for us? It's when the Holy Spirit draws you to Calvary and you go beyond saying Christ died for us and say Christ died for me. And Paul hits both realms in this verse. 
He said, Paul said, he loved me and gave himself for me and he died for me. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot know Jesus Christ until you accept the fact that the world could not save you and religion could not save you. That was a demand that had to be met. That was a debt that had to be paid. And the only person that could meet that demand and pay that debt was our wonderful, worthy Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I want to echo the words of the songwriter I need no other argument I need no other plea it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me turn to somebody right now beside of you or behind you or in front of you and say hey he died for me Paul said he loved me notice what he said in the text he loved me. He loved me. You say, preacher, you got any good news for anybody today? I got the best news you've ever heard in your life. He loves you. You got any more good news? The second greatest news in your life. He died for you. And the next greatest news in your life, he, lo- he wants you and he will accept you. Growing up in that little country church, I, I am so old, I remember a payphone. I'm so old, I remember a phone book. I am so old, I remember green stamps. I am so old, I remember when women cooked. <laughs> From scratch. Cindy, I know you still do. God bless That makes her mad every time I say it. But going up in that little church, the Sunday school teacher had the flannel graph. Anybody remember the flannel graph? Them pictures, all them characters on the Bible stuck. You say, why'd they call it flannel graph? Because on the back of that picture was some graph and they stuck it to a flannel board. Therefore, Brother Bill, they called it flannel graph. I thought you might be impressed. And them little pictures. Daddy preaching. And, the, and, and them great hymns of the faith. Up Calvary's mountain one dreadful morn. My daddy started for 25 years as radio broadcast. Every day with the old rugged cross. And singing there's a fountain filled with blood. And the song we opened up with this morning at Calvary. All oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. All oh, the grace that brought it down to man. All oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. And I grew up listening about the cross. I grew up singing about the cross. I grew up hearing my dad preach about the cross. And I know you think I'm just bragging on my dad. But to this day I'm almost 61 years old. And to this day, the greatest single message I've ever heard on the cross was preached by my dad when I was a 15-year-old boy on what they found when they took down the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish somebody were recorded. It had been a classic for the ages. What they found when they took down the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh my, I've heard about Calvary, read about Calvary. The choir sang about Calvary. Daddy preached about Calvary. The Sunday school teachers taught about Calvary. 
But somehow, Brother Shane, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, that's for the druggers and that's for the rapists and that's for the dopers and that's for them big old bad sinners that's really messed up their life and lost and undone. Yeah, I'm sure he died for them. But the greatest day in Brother Joe Arthur's life was when I realized he loved me and he died for me and he took my place and a personal God and a personal Lord and a personal shepherd and I called upon him and I trusted him and I'm glad he saved my mama. I'm glad he saved my daddy. I'm glad he saved my friends. But most of all, I'm glad God saved me for me. He loved me and gave himself for me. You cannot be a Christian apart from that little phrase, for me. You've got to acknowledge that somebody died for you. There's a second little word, by. By. Well, how do I obtain the cross? How do I obtain salvation? Join enough churches? No. Get baptized in enough baptisteries? Get confirmed in enough? No, no, no. By faith. Paul said the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Brother Gus, when you get to first base, which is for me. He loved me and he died for me. That second base is by, by. Oh my, what is the avenue to salvation? What is the road to salvation? By faith. By faith. Not by the works of the flesh, but by faith. You say, Brother Joe, what is real, true, saving faith? That is taking God at His Word and believing what God says and acting upon it. Let me illustrate it like this. God said I was a sinner. I accept that. God said, I can't save myself. I accept that. God said, the wages of sin is death. I accept that. Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. I accept that. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll perish. I accept that. And the Bible said, for God shall love the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I accept that. And the Bible said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I accept that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By one man's sin, by one man's offense, by one man's disobedience, all were made sinners, but because of one man's obedience and one man's love and one man's sacrifice, for there's one mediator between God and man and that is the man, Christ Jesus. I accept that. Hallelujah. And I didn't get saved because of some religious deed that I did. By faith. By faith. Because when you get that for me, that's first. When you get that by faith, that's second. But then Paul gets to third with this one. I love it. He said, not only is it for, not only is it by, he said, but it's in. It is in. Christ liveth in me. Because if you realize and accept Jesus died for you, and if you'll approach him by the door and the avenue and the way of faith, you can leave this building today saying more than, man, 
I went to church. Man, we had a wonderful service. Man, and we, I participated in religious activity. You can leave this room today saying, Wow, I acknowledge he died for me. And I approached him by the door in the avenue of faith. And ladies and gentlemen, I've got more than a religious dogma living in me. Christ liveth in me. You say, what's better than third base? Getting home. Because if you'll get that for me, and you'll get that by faith, and you'll get that in me, you'll get it home. What's the home run? I live. I live. Well, the world, let let me say it like this. The, The mind that's never been illuminated by the Holy Spirit says there's contradictions in the Bible. There are none. I don't accept that at all. The Bible is God's perfect word. It's God's holy, inerrant, infallible, impeccable, indispensable, impeachable. God's final authority is his word. But Brother Joe, he just opened the phrase with, I'm crucified. So somebody that got crucified means they died. Have you ever heard of another man? He's real popular. He's known all over the world as his name, Jesus Christ. He was crucified too. But in three days, he walked out of the grave. Yes, Christ was crucified. But can I remind you this morning, he is not dead. He is very much alive. And he's not the old man upstairs. And he's not a victim of the cross. He is the victor, the king of kings, the prince of glory, the Lord of glory. He died. He was crucified. But Christ lives. How can a man be crucified and live? Jesus did. And that's the faith I'm claiming. Paul said, I'm crucified. I put my sins on Jesus' cross. I put my past on Jesus' cross. All them things I used to do, all them things I used to say, I put them on his cross and he nailed it and he bled on it and he left it in his grave. I live. I live. Paul said it's not the old man that lives. It's not the old cusser and profaner and my persecutor that lives. He said, but I'm alive because I've got somebody living in me. And I love who called Paul to him in the text. Christ. And I love his label in the text. The Son of God. Can I tell you this morning, the greatest friend you'll ever have is Christ, the Son of God. Can I tell you today, it's Christ, the Son of God, that loved you. It's Christ, the Son of God, that died for you. And it's Christ, the Son of God, that will give you a new lease on life. Because He's never refused anyone that trusted Him. And He's not going to start that today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I want to say two things briefly.